0: Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy, too. So sit back and enjoy. Happy Thanksgiving, Blockhead listeners. Welcome to the podcast. I hope you had a wonderful day yesterday, wherever you are and however you might celebrate the uh, Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States. If you're not in the United States, then I'm sorry. Uh, I, I hope you had a nice day yesterday, no matter what you were doing. But here in the U.S., we were celebrating Thanksgiving, and uh, which is one of my favorite holidays, one way or the other, because it's really just about giving thanks and uh, enjoying company. Although this year was a little odd for many of us, unable to enjoy uh, large gatherings of, of family and friends, but uh, nevertheless for myself and my wife, we had a nice day and I hope you did too. We, uh, we spent a lot of time together in the kitchen, uh, putting that together, although she is in charge, definitely. Uh, I'm just there to help out when I can and, uh, and then, you know, we just spent time together enjoying the day. And uh, I hope you enjoyed your day, too, no matter what you were doing. And greetings of the season, because the season has officially begun, right? The holiday season. And uh, it's time to think about gifts, uh, whether it's for Kwanzaa or for Christmas or for Hanukkah or other celebrations. Uh, and a wonderful gift, indeed, is the Peanuts book uh, written by today's guest, Simon Beecroft. And uh, brand new, this book has just come out this year from DK Publishing. And I think you'll find it in every bookstore, everywhere, (laughs) as well as online if you're confined to shopping online this year. It's a wonderful book. It's great. Uh, It's beautiful to look at. It's jam-packed with all kinds of images from throughout the history of the Peanuts comic strip. Uh, It's organized in a really accessible way. Uh large type for folks like myself who are getting on in years, <laughs> but, uh, but also for, for younger people, for younger readers. And because of that, it's, it's just it's a very accessible and user-friendly book, and it's organized in a really interesting way. There is, of course, the traditional chronological approach. There's a chronology at the beginning of the book and a timeline which takes you through the entire history of the strip from the 50s to you know, the 90s and 2000. But it's also organized in, 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 there are distinct chapters and within the chapters there are essays about particular aspects and characters within the strip and moments in the strip that are highly significant and important to anybody who loves Peanuts and yet at the same time it's rare to find them isolated in other writings about Peanuts. Uh, in just this way. And so, uh, for example, in the first part of the book, which focuses on the original, the early years of the strip and the original characters, you know, we have the original trio. We have uh, Shermie, Patty, and Violet. There's a whole nice little uh, essay about those three. And it's illustrated beautifully, you know, with drawings from those early years of the strip. And there's a little essay about the beginning of Snoopy and and Snoopy's evolution and Snoopy's doghouse and... And because we're talking about the early years of the strip and the first characters, there's a couple of pages on Schroeder and Pigpen and, and even one section on Charlotte Braun, who, uh, or how do you pronounce that, Charlotte Brown, B-R-A-U-N, nevertheless, uh, who is, you know, an incidental character who showed up for a brief period of time. But there she is. There's a section there because, uh, well, she was somewhat controversial in the, in, when she was introduced back in the day. The book has uh, essays on all of the characters. Uh, Essay's not the right word, actually. Uh, uh, What should we call it? Uh, This kind of synopsis or uh, summation of the character. Uh, Wonderful little uh, descriptions of each character and, and significant moments in their histories, all done really in no more than two pages with lots of beautiful illustrations for each character. The book also highlights those moments and aspects of the strip that are, as I said, rarely uh, singled out for description or or discussion. For example, there's a couple of pages on Snoopy's happy dance, or Linus's blanket, or Miss Othmar, uh, another incidental character who's never seen, but there's a couple of pages on her. Of course, the Red Baron is discussed and Snoopy's uh, ongoing battle with him is also detailed in two wonderful pages with uh, lots of great images, including one of a wooden music box from the back in the day, which uh, I seem to remember a friend having I was so envious of. But not only is there a, a discussion of Peppermint Patty, but there's also a discussion of Peppermint Patty's neighborhood and the baseball team and all of the kids in that neighborhood who may not have been important as individual characters, but certainly were important in the strip, uh, in, in the interactions between baseball teams. And, of course, for those of us who are cartoonists and interesting in the art of cartooning, uh, there's a couple of pages on uh, Charles Schultz's cartooning tools and uh, his studio and the setup in the studio. So it's got lots of great stuff for the Peanuts fanatic. And you don't have to be a Peanuts fanatic. You can just have a passing interest. And this will, this book really uh, serves the purpose of giving you a lot of background information, and I hate to say it without bogging you down in in a 400-page biography, but this gives you a great background in the comic strip and its development and all of the characters in a way that is really a lot of fun. And I've enjoyed just picking it up, reading a little bit of it here and there, and putting it down again, and then, you know, being surprised the next time I pick it up and finding out what's here Uh, that I didn't know about before. So I encourage you to go out and and pick this up for the Peanuts lover in your family or among your friends. This is a wonderful addition to their library. So the Peanuts book, a visual history of the iconic comic strip by Simon B. Croft, with a wonderful uh, foreword by Stephen Colbert, of all people, and another great humorist who I happen to like a lot. And uh, I hope you'll, you'll head out and pick this up, okay? It's at a bookstore near you. Be on the lookout for it for the holidays, the Peanuts book. And this is, of course, uh, the day after, as I record this, of uh, Charles Schultz's, I think it was his 98th birthday uh, yesterday. So happy birthday to Charles Schultz. So, let's get right to it. A wonderful discussion with Simon. He's a great guest. We talk about a lot of stuff over the course of two hours. This will be in two parts, as they usually are, and we spend a lot of time talking about peanuts, both all the way through, uh, as well as talking about other things. We even There's even a, a point where Simon asks me a lot about my own work, so we talk about that too, but I think you'll find it an interesting interview for those of you who've been chomping at the bit to get back to some peanuts uh, material here on the podcast I think you'll enjoy it. I've been looking forward to talking peanuts again and uh, I hope to do more of it again in the future so look forward to the next episode with Simon because it it's, builds on this one in wonderful ways so uh, okay without further ado myself and Simon B. Croft in conversation Hello Simon, welcome to Blockhead
1: Hi Jeff, thanks for inviting me
0: Oh, it's great to have you here. It's going to be a a wonderful uh, opportunity to talk about Schultz, Charles Schultz and Peanuts and this wonderful new book that has come out called The Peanuts Book, a visual history of the iconic comic strip that you have written and published through, uh, oh gosh, it's DK, but what is the full name? Yeah, DK, DK, yes. Yeah, it's just okay. It's just decay. Um, the wonderful book. And, uh, I have to have a copy here and it's, it's just beautiful. So congratulations. This is a great achievement.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, a delight to me to see, uh, my copy. I have my copy here too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's something very special, isn't there about when, when you've spent some time working on something and then to see the finished article see the finished oh. thing is just so exciting when that it actually arrived in the in the mail for me um a month or two ago and that was a you know that was a
0: fun morning when that arrived <laughs> <laughs> so how long had you been working on the book uh the peanuts book
1: well so um probably over a year i would say um which maybe doesn't sound like an enormous amount of time um From start to finish but you know that that you know that's a year of your life it does take up quite it's all it's almost all I was thinking about Um, obviously I was doing other things but almost all the time in the back of my mind I was thinking about peanuts and I was really spent a lot of time researching a lot of time thinking about it and trying to find an interesting angle I think that's you know it's one of those um, there's a lot of books of course Um, Mm -hmm. Not not just collections of the strips and there's a lot of strips,
0: but um, yeah, (laughs) 18,000 or so.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, But there's also a lot of uh, what I would say more like the coffee table style of books. So the kind of the books about Schultz, about the strip. And I was aware of some of them. I I have a few of them on my shelves here. And Mm -hmm. so I was trying to find an angle, you know, a a Mm -hmm. way of presenting it that to me. That felt interesting to me and I thought might be a little bit different to the other books that I'd seen.
0: And so, well, I guess we'll start at the beginning in a sense. This sounds like it was a really interesting process. Who who approached you about working on this book or was it something that you had uh, wanted to do yourself?
1: I mean I yeah, I, I was um I was actually one of the publishers at Dorling Kindersley or DK. Um mm-hmm. and before I before I went um, freelance as a writer um and kind of freelance publishing consultant, which is what mm-hmm. I do now. Um so I kind of so I was fortunate to see the process right from the beginning because um I first met up with some people from uh, peanuts worldwide at a trade fair a oh, publishing okay. uh, licensing trade event mm-hmm. um, somebody in the in the publishers knew um, a guy called Craig who worked there uh, they were sort of old old friends and we just met because he was there on the stat on his stand we were there meeting different um, looking at different brands etc and it was one of those meetings that turned from a kind of hey how are you to a hmm there's something yeah there's the 70 years coming up there's a lovely you know anniversary moment um i've been a lifelong peanuts fan to the extent that my my own son who's now 15 uh is named minus oh (laughs) yeah
0: okay let's go on the extra step
1: yeah so um so yeah so we kind of began talking about doing a book and then I went uh, freelance and it was one of the first projects. It was a really nice thing because I, I transitioned from being on the more the kind of business side to being able to um, be the writer of the book. And so it was a, it was the first kind of big writing project that I did in my new, as it were, life mm-hmm. the new part, you know, part of my career. So, yeah, so I so I suppose, including that time, it's probably been more like a year and a half or even two years that I've been that this has been kind of I've been aware of this coming up. Um, Yeah, the exciting bit was once I was they wanted me to write it. They knew it was a passion project for me. They knew that, um, you know, well, I I suppose they thought he's got a son called Linus. We'd better give it to to him to write.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> I hope you're sharing some of the royalties with Linus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, That'd yeah, I mean he's a 15 year old. He's expen like all all kids. They're expensive.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and don't tell me he's got like scraggly little hair and carries a blanket around.
1: Yeah, and when I make him, when I'm when I when I jump up, when I jump up behind him, his hair just shoots up on end, and he
0: screams. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> does he know does linus know who is his he's named for he is but he's kind of um
1: he's kind of very cool about it like he's definitely aware but um uh you know he knows he knows uh, dad has a lot of um you know hobbies interests passions and um he takes them all with a kind of slightly more reserved attitude like um i've got my own thing going on
0: thanks yeah yeah of course (laughs) it reminds me you know a funny little aside actually my my mother when my name is jeffrey jeff with a g which in the united states in 1960 when i was born was odd you just didn't see that of course it's the proper spelling but yeah. it's not, you didn't see that in the United States. And so everybody, when I was growing up, everybody was like, what is this name and where does it come from? Well, my mother told me when I was very young, the name was inspired by a character in an Agatha Christie novel. And like Linus, I've never been keen to go <laughs> search out. <the laughs> character. For, uh, apparently he was a butler.
1: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyway. yeah, I suppose that is an English spelling of the name. Would you say? Mm-hmm. Uh, with the, yeah. Yeah. With. Yeah. So, uh, in the U S you'd spell it more
0: with the J with a J. Yeah. And when yeah. I was growing up, you know, it was, I mean, people have called me all kinds of things, uh, because they just had never seen it before. It's funny now because we live in such a, mm. you know, global society and it's old school now, but in the day, back in the day, it was an odd name to see, you know, among all the Johns and, and Michaels that were around when I was growing up.
1: So you, anyway, you, I mean, Linus has the same problem, I think, because it's not a common name, um, certainly not no. in the UK. And, yes. you know, a number of times he just people can't even pronounce it. They see it written down and they call him Linus. Um, <laughs>
0: oh,
1: and yeah. then, you know, like spelling it, they they, they have troubles with that. Um, my daughter's called Edie, E-D-I-E. Um, and that also gives people problems. She's often... Uh, people call her eddie accidentally which annoys her uh sure well you've saddled your kids with some. (laughs) i know i know i have i have but they i think they don't mind i think they're okay with their names luckily there's i mean there's such a in london and i'm sure in like well certainly in the u.s there's so many different types of names now. Yeah, there's a lot of the common ones that, you know, that you hear a lot, but the diversity of names, I always think is kind of, is kind of lovely. And um, certainly in London, it, it's not unusual to have an unusual name. And you don't, you certainly, I think you, I think you don't get kind of, you know, picked on for having an unusual name anymore, because in a sense, there aren't any, un, you know, unusual names. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, you know, uh, uh, because we live in a much more diverse and global society than we did. Yeah. You know, and so no name seems to be odd any longer because there are such a wide range of names to choose from or even make up on your own. And exactly, you know, so uh, which is great, you know. Yeah. Uh, And I, I like both Edie's and Linus's names. And one of the things it just calls to mind, there's a note in the book, my favorite character has always been Linus. And one of the, of course, I was reading the section on Linus, and one of the things you note in there is that Schultz loved that name. It was the name of a colleague of his yeah. at Art Instruction, right? And uh, and he loved the name, which is, you know, kind of cool to to note in this little discussion that it it was just, and it perfect for the character, you know? I mean, really yeah. quite perfect, because uh, it, it sort of has an aura about it, you know, Linus um that goes with him a little more philosophical and uh you know thoughtful if you will i uh, would agree
1: with that i hadn't thought about that but i think you're right there's something there's i couldn't quite put my finger on it what it is about that name but i think you're you've you've got very close there there is just something slightly indefinably special about the name that really fits with the character it yeah. it's not. it's not char it's not charlie it's no. not it's Kind of more run-of-the-mill name um and yet it's not it's not it's not uh sort of overly ostentatious or or slightly pretentious or you know either is it it's it's just this no. kind of standalone. it's got a standalone unique individual quality t- you know to it. I, I do wonder now you're now we're thinking about it how how common a name it was in you know in in the early 50s or late 40s um uh, i imagine it wasn't common
0: no uh, i don't think it was uh I, think,
1: I know i know just from from having a, a few friends who've mentioned this that it's actually a very common name in um scandinavia
0: oh yeah okay.
1: it's, it's typically in the top 10 of boys names in like sweden and Possibly Norway as well. I believe I've been told. So okay. yeah,
0: that makes a lot of sense because there there was a great Scandinavian culture in Minneapolis in Minnesota, and so that would make sense that there would be a friend named Linus there. I guess, um, huh. you know, I'm just hypothesizing now. There and you um, yeah. there you go. And 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 I think it, now it, I'm trying to remember the exact sequence of events. I think Schultz had done the sketch, and then he showed it maybe to his friend and named it after him, or was it the other way around? Did he? I he think had, right. I Think he had done the sketch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. First.
0: And then decided to to name it. He liked the drawing. Yeah. And he, he showed it to 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 Linus, and then right. decided to ta- to name it Linus which, yeah. you know, was just fortuitous, but somehow, you know, that goes hand in hand with Schultz's, I guess he had this great intuitive sense of what was right, you know, for what he was doing. And, uh, and that worked, you know, it just worked so well. Uh, who I knew? think
1: certainly he, he liked the hair, didn't he? he, he I yeah. think he did, you know, as you say, he did the sketch uh, and he, he loved the kind of, the way that he drew the hair, the kind of wild hair that Linus <laughs> has. I think he's a little bit, I, I feel like because I, I, I remember reading, you know, somewhere that he, one of the reasons he didn't particularly enjoy drawing Shermy, Sherman, was his hair. Mm-hmm. I guess after Shermy had the crew cut, maybe yeah. it was just time consuming. I don't know. But he said he didn't he, he didn't find that hair enjoyable to draw. And I'm now thinking that how much was Schultz in you know, influenced by how how much he enjoyed drawing the hair? Of his Uh characters that sort of determined how much he liked the
0: characters
1: (laughs) (laughs) all down to
0: the hair yeah the charlie brown was really easy because all you had was that one little sprig you know linus is i've um i've drawn these characters quite a bit because i'm a cartoonist and i've not ever professionally drawn these characters but um i am doing a little bit of animation uh just on the side for myself and uh, drawing Linus, the thing that always gets me is doing the hair in the way that Schultz did is very tricky. And, uh, I, I, I suppose this is not interesting to anybody who's, who, unless they're cartoonists, but drawing, trying to get that curve in the Schultz way, you know, you can, you can put a curve in to draw Linus's hair and do the scratchy lines, but trying to get it so that it, it feels like Schultz is tricky because, you know, there's a kind of intuitive, uh, you know, spontaneity to what um, Charles Schultz was doing whenever he drew Linus, but then trying to get it into your own hand is pretty tricky. So it's kind of a, it, it, it's harder to draw that way than it looks. It's, it's kind of funny. I would actually find it easier to do Shermie's hair. Cause it's just kind of a mess, but right. of clue cut, you know, but, uh, I, think
1: that's, I mean, I, I know that a few people, I, I know, I've read this, that there's, um, a lot of people would say that drawing the heads, the way that Schultz drew them is yeah. harder than it looks. Yeah. There oh. is just something, it looks very simple, but in fact, to get that simplicity, is not as easy as it looks. But then I think additionally, as you say, with with Linus and the hair, what is incredible about that, the way that he draws it is it's quite messy. Mm -hmm. And drawing messy like that can just come over as messy. But there is this, somehow this, as you say, this kind of intuitive control that he seems to have um, with that kind of those lines to know just how much to do, how, how, how many of them to do and just to get the right level of messiness and I think it makes me think of his um you know how he really enjoyed drawing rain and he took great pride Uh in being able to draw rain really well and once you know that you each time you see a panel where there is rain I I look at it more a little bit a little bit sort of more closely and I I think it's the same thing there's a kind of like it's it's this sort of it's all it is is just those pen marks going down. You 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 almost just cover the drawing you've done. It must be almost quite. I would find it quite hard to do. You've drawn the character, and then mm-hmm. you've got to sort of scratch over them. Yes. To indicate the rain, which is a a nerve wracking thing to do. I would have thought, and it looks quite quite loose, but it's always perfect. It always, to me, it always just conveys that quality of rain very very well
0: well and I'm looking in the book now and for those who are uh, you know interested uh, these are actually different um, uh, sections within the book different little um, articles within the book and this is uh, of course we've been talking about Linus and that's in the towards the beginning of the book but towards the end of the book there's this wonderful little uh, little article about working in pencil and ink or double page spread really and in it on page 175 is is uh, the discussion a little short discussion about Schultz drawing rain and um and it's a wonderful drawing of Charlie Brown on the on the pitcher's mound. It looks like it was you know done uh, a giveaway or something that he was he was giving for to a friend or from for some other purpose but it's beautiful The you're exactly you've said it so well he's he's drawn just the right amount of rain and he's done it without any sense of overt design or contrivance it looks it looks as haphazard and natural as as rain does and uh which is really more difficult than it sounds because when you sit down to draw rain um you know the the, first of all if you are drawing a figure. It's in the rain you have to you know weigh how much rain is going to interfere with what needs to be seen and you know how much is is too much and how much is too little exactly. and he he hits it right every time and at the same time i also like
1: wait, he had um, he has the downward strokes yeah so so there's a slight heaviness to the bottom of them which yeah. is just perfect it does sort of seem to suggest that the slightly heaviness of the rain, the raindrops, and you really get that sense that this is quite a heavy rain falling on poor Charlie Brown, who looks so desolate on that on that pitcher's mound, right. he <laughs> as he is.
0: often does. Oh wow, it's such a great drawing. Uh, it it really is. And and the other thing that you know cartoonists will note is just the way that he's done the the pitcher's mound, which is just squiggly lines to show, you know, the the earthen quality, the texture of the pitcher's mound and yet at the same time it's just so right it feels like earth on a pitcher's mound and uh, it's it's really terrific and yeah and and that is one thing that's so true about his work there's this you know this it's like handwriting schultz's work is very much like handwriting trying to recreate it is so difficult uh because there's a naturalness to it it's his personal handwriting and And that, you know, whenever I see anybody else who's done work after Schultz, it's it, some people are very accomplished. You know, like Robert Pope is just one of the most accomplished cartoonists working. And he does a great job uh, of it, or Paige Braddock does a great job of it. But at the same time, Schultz is still Schultz. It's so personal, and that personal touch is is inimitable. You can't really ever recreate what he does with the pen um, in things, particularly things like rain and Linus's hair. It's always, those are so tricky to do anyway, getting, getting a, a, a far afield in a sense, although hewing close to the subject, but still, uh, <laughs> I think I sent us off on a, a tangent, but um, this points to the, the structure of the book. And we were talking about how the book came together and how you got involved in it and I guess what came first was it the the research or did you start to like dive into the strip and then decide okay here are the here's the way I want to organize it I mean how did that come about because this book is is organized in a very interesting way and I've never really seen another book organized in quite the same way about around peanuts and uh i mean you know maybe chip kids only what's necessary but that's a very it's still very different from what you've done here
1: that's an amazing book it's true um i have that on my shelf um it's a lovely book i mean that that's a very unique book the way that one's designed and you know put together i really do love the way that book has all the uh, has takes the risk as it were of mm-hmm. showing a lot of these strips um, I suppose at the size that, or closer to the uh, the size that Schultz was drawing them, but quite nice and large in a way that we don't usually see. Mm. Um, so you can really, you know, you can really get close in on the detail and, and really sure. kind of luxuriate in those those pen strokes and that signature mm-hmm. style that, that you, were, you were talking about, which I think is a perfect way of describing um as you, you know, the way that Schultz drew. But so, yeah, I mean, I, the thing, I, I, I suppose it's not, a, there's nothing particularly extraordinarily unique about the way that we organized it, but I was definitely interested in, so one, one thing I wanted to do was to not 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 entirely um, present the characters uh, just as kind of characters that that, that somehow existed out, outside of time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's something that they have become timeless, of course, um, and that is absolutely a way of seeing them. Um, they they don't age in the strip, of course. Particularly, or I mean, the uh, you know some of the characters do in the beginning, but mm-hmm. they are sort of timeless. And yet, I wanted to. Um, I was very interested in, for me, seeing how how the strip evolved, mm-hmm. uh, o- like over the decades. And I wanted to kind of. Um, I think because you know when I was growing up, um, like a lot of people. I just I didn't read the strips, you know, in order, like, you know, every every day in a a paper. I read them when I saw them. I read them when I found them. Um, I had those compilations, those kind of little paperback books that were just perhaps they were themed or they were just strips from all over the place. So I, like a lot of people, never I don't think I ever really got a sense uh, fully of um, some of the little storylines that Schultz developed and certainly I didn't get a sense of how the strip evolved over longer periods of time. So and it, it was only really with seeing, uh, for instance, something like the Fantagraphics collected strips, mm-hmm. that, which I have a lot of. I don't have them all. Um, I wish I did, but I have been collecting them. And I think I, I got up to about 1970 or something mm-hmm. when when I was doing the book, uh, which was enormously useful and helpful as you can imagine, there's sure. so many at, um, but that was, you know, th- that was absolutely something that I think that I wanted to kind of, so we, we presented the, so the book is in chapters and, right. uh, chapters, there's an, an initial chapter, which just really focuses on a sort of timeline and the life of Schultz. So it's a kind of a biography chapter essentially. And then we do chapters on, really the decades. So we do a chapter kind of on the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and then the 80s and 90s. And, you know, that's so that was really um, the thing that I think possibly makes it different to some of the other books I've looked at. Um, So when you're seeing the characters, I wanted to see them looking as they did in the 50s, evolving through the 60s. And then they get, they get very different in the 80s and 90s, partic- particularly, particularly the 90s, um, not only from the way that Schultz was drawing them um, with age, I guess, his you know, his own frailty, but also just fascinating the different preoccupations um, that he had at that time. Um, and I think that over the entire period, you can then see the strip as a in some ways a history of Schultz's life that's 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 the thing I wanted to bring in the biographical element of course and to be able to see that Schultz um was wanting to make us laugh and wanting to have fun and there were gags but there was also it was in a sense the the strip is a kind of a biography and a, you know an autobiography to some extent of him and people he knew observations he was making about things going on in the culture or his world or life um, it, it's just so multi you know multi-dimensional and that's what I really wants
0: book well and I think you do uh, and uh, I have to say I, I really enjoy this book I really do um, I, I, I think one of the things about this book that's great is that you can you can like a lot of you know coffee table books you can put it down and pick it up at any time and which is the way I've been reading it which is you know i'll pick it up and I'll, I'll flip through a few pages and you know get caught up in reading something and then go off and do something else and that's been a lot of fun because there are a lot of fun chap. the chapters are great and i love the way it's broken up into these different chapters which you know which are chronological but you don't over you don't like hit the the reader over the head with that you know the titles of the chapters aren't the 50s the 60s 70s it's the originals it's uh, going global you know life goes on the world is changing those are you know interesting ways of conveying where the strip is at in the world at that time but I just love going through the book and like uh, zeroing in on you know a particular detail or a particular uh, concept that you've identified and some of them I I just think are things that other people haven't, you know, focused on. Like um, this morning, as a matter of fact, I was just coming across that that little bit about, um, you know, sound in Char- in peanuts and the way sound effects and the way uh, Charles Schultz would incorporate lettering and and sound effects into the strip, which is, you know, so distinctive in the strip and really such an important part of it, but it's rare that I've I matter of fact, I've never seen anybody else isolate that particular element, uh, in the strip for discussion. And you do that and you, you know, and that's not the only time you do interesting things like that. I mean, talking about rain is another thing, but there are lots of these little elements that you've, that are within the strip that you've identified and, and taken out and paid a little attention to it's like a uh you know a wonderful discussion about uh, all of these little tidbits that exist within the strip each of which is unique and special to peanuts but often go unnoticed in larger discussions about the strip and what it means and how it's affected us all Do you know yeah so i think that's a wonderful aspect of the book uh that i really enjoy as somebody who who by the way, quite proudly, does have all of the Panagraphics uh, books. Oh, and, lucky Oh man, my, you know, I have to say that was a y- several year, you know, process, but it was great, and I kind of miss the fact that I don't have any more to collect. But I'm not, you know, insane. I'm not going to get the paperbacks along with the hardcovers. Yeah, right. That's just right. too much. I don't have. I'm getting too old, and I don't have the room <laughs> anymore.
1: But. No, you, uh, you need a long a long bookshelf to keep all those, I
0: think. Oh my gosh, you sure do. But yeah. anyway, so I think that that's, you know, something that's quite distinct about the book. And, um, you know, and there's so many times that I've been flipping through the book that I've been just pleasantly surprised that you've identified something that I happen to love about the strip. Like one of, in the originals, which I, I love this section because I think as, as an older Peanuts reader, that's the section that I, the era that I identified. Identify with mostly is the fifties and the sixties and the Snoopy's doghouse, uh, um, section and the discussion of his, you know, the interior of his doghouse and the fire, uh, you know, that burned up the doghouse, which, you know, I didn't realize was actually, you know, uh, Schultz was in a sense, recasting and retelling a fire that had happened in his own studio. But, um, you know I love that you identified that story because that's one of my favorite little you know stories in the strip.
1: I think I mean, yeah, that's that's I think one of the one the time there's lots of instances of that in his life, and I think I think that that's obviously a very a very clear one. Um, the two events happened, you know so so close together. I think he was definitely commenting on Snoopy's, you know Snoopy's absolute abject kind of you know, devastation, <laughs> seeing his poor doghouse burning down, oh, yeah. must have been, you know, must in some ways be reflective of how, how Schultz had felt losing his own um, studio, losing so much of his own material. That must have been traumatic. Yeah. Um, I think, and there are lots of, I think there are other incidents of that. I think, you know, it's important to be careful. Um, and, and And I was very conscious of, not perhaps not overplaying that i know that there's um there's some debate you know about for instance lucy and the resemblance um how how close a resemblance or not she is to schultz's first wife Mm -hmm. uh, particularly a theme particularly developed in um the book by david michaelis
0: yes Mm -hmm.
1: schultz and peanuts book which I, i i have to say i have read And I read it during the kind of research period, and found it, you know, beyond fascinating.
0: Oh yeah. Um,
1: And I think I was all ready to kind of like, just okay, so he's this is the final word. But I was kind of gently advised by um, the studio and by Peanuts just to kind of not not be uh, to, to perhaps reserve judgment. a little bit more on that. And um, I I then kind of read some pieces that I think Craig, Craig Schultz wrote, um, I found some bits and pieces in various places that really gave me other perspectives on that. So I think that is kind of a bit of a minefield, perhaps you might say, um, as, as, as always is when you're dealing with a real person who really lived, and you don't want to be putting thoughts in their heads or, you know, words in their mouth. Um, so but 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 certainly having said that, I, I definitely wanted to be as biographical as I could in this book because um, I wanted to kind of straddle the I didn't want it to be a children's book. I didn't want it. I mean, it certainly isn't. And it isn't intended to be a children's book. I think it's as you say, it's very, um, you know, it's kind of bite sized You can you can dip into it anywhere. I think children would, uh, you know, I think you could you could show it to a child and they would be interested in the pictures and the colours and the cartoons and they might read some captions and, and things like that. But I, I want, I did want to aim it at a, a slightly more of an adult readership. Um, mm. And so I didn't want to kind of be trying to, you know, write it in the voice of the characters or, or really kind of get into that kind of more, um, I don't know what you call it, kind of more like just you know humorous try, mm-hmm. trying to get into the or underneath the humor of it i wanted to, i wanted to be kind of like a historian a little bit uh, so have a certain amount of a certain amount of fun you can have you can you can certainly have you know fun with the material but at the same time i wanted to bring a slightly more studious kind of air to it so that we were sort of treating it as a grown-up serious mm-hmm. property that has you know runs all the way from as you say like crazy sound effects which you'd expect in wildest comic strips mm-hmm. to the whole side of it which is philosophical uh, theological to some extent um you know it just it runs and that's absolutely what i love about it is one one day i can be looking at uh i don't know snoopy in space and the next the next day i can be trying to find examples of linus um discussing you know the
0: scriptures Hey, listeners, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I hope you're enjoying today's interview. If you are and you want to show support, head on over to my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. At Patreon, you can contribute as little as a dollar on a regular basis to ensure the longevity of this podcast. Your support will help keep it not only commercial-free, but free to the listening public. And in exchange, you'll get some pretty neat stuff. There are at least three different tiers, each level offers its own distinct rewards, so check it out today at Patreon.com/slash Jeff Grogan G E O F F G R O G A N. Any amount is welcome, and your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks again, and that's Patreon.com/slash Jeff Grogan. <laughs> right, a testament to the you know the breadth of the strip, and what ties it all together is that Schultz, Charles Schultz made it funny, and, um, which is, I mean, really quite astounding when, when you really start to think about it. I mean, he takes some pretty heavy subjects like theology and finds the humor in all of them and finds the humor in our doubts and our fears and all of those kinds of things that are, you know, otherwise sometimes minefields to get through. And uh, and I I like the fact that when I go through this, it reminds me of because, okay, I've read the entirety of the strip through Fantagraphics collections and I had, you know, I grew up with it and all these kinds of things. Okay, but it's not always in the forefront of my mind, uh, every subject that Schultz has tackled. And so when I'm going through your book, I come across something like, you know, the discussion of theology and pointing to the gospel according to Peanuts and and how the strip dealt with those issues in Schultz's own spirituality. You know, it, it's wonderful the way it picks out these elements. And while it doesn't go into great detail, it's not like the biography, because again, it's a visual biography, and it it opens up the door to thoughts on these, these particular areas. One of the things I think is kind of cool is that I think if you have this book and you are really interested in Schultz, it's going to um, kick off... Not only maybe some thoughts of your own, but who knows, it might inspire some, somebody to sit down and write another article and look more deeply into, you know, a topic like the theology and Christianity and Schultz's work and all those kinds of things. Because it, it brings those things to the surface, you know, it identifies so many different attributes of the strip and so much of what Schultz was grappling with that it opens up the door to further discussion and further thought, which I think is wonderful.
1: Yeah. I, I was kind of. I was very fortunate in the making of the book to be working with uh, people like Lex, of course, wow. um, at the museum, um, at the uh, at uh, Peanut Worldwide, but also um, this, the amazing support from the the archivists and historians at the museum, at the Charles Schultz Museum in Santa Rosa, and um, the amount of material that they made available to us is has really enriched the book enormously um they've got we've just got some really great examples of some of the merchandising we've got some incredible original strips um and as you say some of those sketches and drawings and preparatory um things that there isn't an enormous amount of um Mm -hmm. with with schultz so what you do get to see which is more pencil work i i always find quite fascinating to see
0: um yeah he um i have that book the artist edition of uh, Charles Schultz's peanuts and oh, pardon me while well, I'm, I'm, I'm eating a muffin cause I'm having breakfast. Um, anyway, uh, I have that book and one of the things that astounded me as soon as I got that book and it's, it's indicated here too, you write about it is that, uh, he worked very lightly in pencil and all, sometimes it's almost imperceptible mm. and he just put all of this, you know, he had this great confidence and, and, and I think it was a point of pride for him. Uh, as it would be for anybody to just sit down and draw, uh, you know, spontaneously with his pen, which he did so well. And uh, it's really evident when you look at those reproductions, you know, that this is how he was doing it. And that's another thing that I really love about uh, this book. There's a, a little section about his working method. And uh, we have a wonderful picture of, I think, the installation at the museum and another photograph of him behind his uh drafting table in uh his studio in the nineteen sixties, which is pretty cool. And, and then one, one of the things I love is also seeing his little pen holder with uh his pens and the box of um the nibs for you know, the radio pen number nine fourteen, which is becoming, you know, kind of a legend in its own right. Um uh, because that's what he used. He bought all of them when they were Business, yeah, this is this is some really great stuff, and I happen to love that little part. I would have loved to have seen more, of course, uh, and and hear more about it. But I think it's just great to have those images together with a little discussion of his working method. And one of the things that um, I, a photograph I don't think I've ever seen place else was this picture of art instruction, and I guess it was a publicity shot and um charles schultz is sitting on a table or sitting on a desk in the back of the the image which is pretty cool um i don't i'd never you know i'd imagined what art instruction might have looked like i didn't know what it really looked like with all those separate desks and everything it's pretty cool
1: yeah it's fascinating isn't it yeah yeah that's yeah
0: there's some stuff in here that you know obviously you dug pretty deep for so did you spend a lot of time at the museum? Um, did you go out there and go through their files and et cetera?
1: So sadly, sadly, I didn't. Um, the work that I did with them was all um, just online, virtual. Um, but I have been to the museum um, many, many years ago when, when I was working. Um, so I did, in uh, bef- before um, this, I've written a few books around Star Wars um, and I've spent some time over at Lucasfilm in, um, California mm-hmm. and a couple of trips over there. I was, um, I was there for a reasonable amount of time, a few weeks at a time. So I had weekends free and I had a hire car. Um, so I was able to drive up to, so I just drove up to Santa Rosa, uh, North of San Francisco, um, and visited the museum myself. So I'm, I, I have a sort of visual image of it. I know, I know what it feels like to be in there. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't. Unfortunately, for this trip, I wasn't, I wasn't able to. And I think pretty much to, during the time when we were working quite intensively on it, uh, we went into the lockdown period. Um, you know, in, in March, yeah, March mm-hmm. time. Right. So. So you're really- things just got easy travel was you know we were all all of us work I mean I was already working from home um had my little office my little desk you know set up here in a in a small room in my house um but yeah then then the whole world kind of did the same it seemed and everyone who was in offices were now was now also working at home and we couldn't travel etc so I just um, so it was
0: limited to, in, in that. Yeah,
1: it had to be yeah. kind of my eyes, my eyes and ears. And um, I think he like whatever, whatever we talked about finding, um, he he kind of he dug into it and, and found things. And he brought there's a really lovely um, couple of pages in the book which shows an original um, uh, strip quite large it's just really just a simple simple couple of pages and all that's on it is this strip so we kind of reproduced it as large as we could within the within the format that we've got the size of the format we've got mm-hmm. um, and it's just a great this was something that Lex himself found and said look can we find a place to put this in the book And I was like just we'll just make a whole spread about it because this is just lovely um, and the only place that we kind of really do that so you see that you see a strip from um when is where is it from like probably the 60s i think it's the strip where um snoopy's lying on his dog house and the little birds build a, a nest a nest oh, on his tree, or the yeah. mother bird leaves basically leaves leaves woodstock um as a kind of baby okay snoopy's tummy do you do you remember it
0: <laughs> um i do remember it and i I'm looking for it right now. And of course, I can't find it. That's always the way it is, right?
1: It's, it's page 116. Oh, OK. OK. So there we go. Yeah. And it's just a lovely example of like where you can see all the elements that yeah. Schultz did, the the way that, you know, you put the little kind of um, the copyright line in. He dated in, in in a particular place. There's even an inscription to somebody because he would just often, you know, give the originals away to friends as gifts. Um, and then what I like particularly is just the way that he's folded it. Mm-hmm. so yes yeah. you can see the fold yeah. where he just folded in half and send it by mail and i always thought that was really fascinating that you would that he would spend this time drawing this lovely work which now we would prize and we probably hand i don't know handled with white gloves on etc yeah. but there was he him just folding it in half and sticking it in the mail
0: would even exactly. I always found that astounding, too. You know, that the, I mean, what, what, did he take it to the post office or did he just mail it? Well, I guess he didn't. Right. He had he probably had a nice big mailbox there. Um, But even still, you know, uh, and this is a period I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's all kinds of doubt being sown in the in the United States regarding the post office and its ability to uh, function during the election and there's all this kind of thing. stuff. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of, you know, doubt being sown about the post office. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. This was a period of time when there was great trust in, in our our postman and, our, and yeah. the post office. And, uh, you know, my experience has always been more oftentimes than not, it gets there. So, and I, I have a good friend yeah. who worked in the post office and uh, they, they go through a lot to make sure the mail gets where it needs to go. So yeah. anyway, thinking about that, yeah, he just, he'd take his strips and <laughs> Pop them in the mail and fold them in half. It just blows my mind. Yeah, me too. You know, too. and then here, here's a nice, neat little, you know, detail that you've written here. Uh, Schultz would paste the copyright line in an inconspicuous spot in the strip. So I'm imagining, you know, that Charles Schultz did that himself. He He <laughs> cut out the little copyright thing and stuck it in the strip where he felt it was going to be, you know, least obtrusive. Uh, I mean, my gosh, you know, Charles Schultz is cutting out the copyright <laughs> thing and putting it on a strip. So
1: no, we had a little discussion about this, um, Lex and and I. Um, we, we went a little bit back and forth because when I wrote that, I had discovered it um, because there's another book, which was one of the books that sh- I think it's Peanuts Jubilee, perhaps the one that came out in, I guess, what Jubilee was that? Seventy seven. Mm hmm uh Perhaps twenty um, fifth anniversary.
0: Twenty fifth, yeah, yeah. yeah. Seventy five, maybe.
1: Okay. Yes, and he he had. Um, There's a section in the back where he. Well, the the book is as if it's written by schultz himself, and he describes pasting in the copyright line. <laughs> but uh, Lex was like, I, I don't think. I mean, his initial feeling was, I I think the the syndicate would have done that, yeah. which. I, makes a lot of sense you you as you say who can imagine well why would charles schultz himself be pasting in uh, a copyright uh, line but he does say that he did so he does.
0: <laughs> well nobody touched his stuff him right.
1: you
0: know that's nobody it Nobody touched his stuff and yeah. that's just to me it's just amazing it's very humble on in one sense but a lot of people think of it as like being a control freak but when you think about somebody who's as big as you know the biggest cartoonist in the world Right, who could have a sea of sycophants all working for him, doing all kinds of things? I mean, I'm thinking about other cartoonists who had staffs of people to do work for them. Oh, I mean, yeah, you know, and and you can you'd imagine. A but, studio, you'd have a studio just. Yeah, but he just, did everything. You know, yeah. even down to, I mean, maybe he didn't open all the mail, but my gosh, I know in the through the '60s he was still answering fan mail, and I there's something really just human about that you know and uh i mean he took he did not take his fans for granted and he didn't any and all of the work he he did it himself and it's just to me it's just amazing to think about um charles schultz pasting in this copyright lines but well i think
1: that does speak to what we were talking about about it, the, the strip being a kind of an autobiography of you know it was a very you know it was so personal to him yeah. uh he he recognized that this is that there was no this this there was never his intention to have anybody else do this strip um this was his diary yeah i guess to some extent yeah Yeah. and 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 so that because it you know because you have this this single you know um creating you know or creator uh Mm -hmm. behind it, it it makes it very it makes it a very you know there's that kind of personal story it, it is a very personal story and the, and the strip then so i think that's why um it's so fascinating to continually be kind of drawing some kind of comparison to schultz's life um, oh for, yeah
0: yeah i'm glad you got back to that because i was i've been thinking about that and and you know as anybody who is deeply interested in this material and the work and it, you know you start to when with your favorite artists you start to ex- examine their lives and try to make connections between the work and their lives. And, you know, talking about Lucy or talking about other elements of the strip, you know, but Lucy in particular stands out to me because of the distinct change in her character between, say, the 50s and the 60s and and even into the 70s. She's pretty much the same. But as she goes into the 80s and 90s, she becomes a very kind of different Character almost somewhat sedate in comparison to yes. the character she was previously, which causes one to start making associations. You know, which uh, which I think is natural. You know, what was it that changed in his life that caused a change in Lucy, or uh, it, or the changes in the the subjects in the the material in the nineties, which I think is really kind of very interesting and that's one of those areas that i think is wide open for discussion the connection between aging and um you know becoming an elder statesman of kind uh, of a sort yeah. i always found it fascinating. fascinatingly focused on rerun in the 90s yeah
1: exactly yeah and and the relationship between lucy and rerun is interesting lucy is much milder as you say much kinder mm-hmm. uh, what you would say perhaps would be uncharacteristically kind i mean lucy's Sort of uh, quite supportive of Rerun and kind and kind of show, shows him the world and takes him out a little bit. Um, yeah, she she's much much less aggressive towards yes. him and generally at that time. And Rerun uh, has, I suppose, something of the kind of. I mean, I think Rerun's interesting because he was brought in kind of earlier, and then kind of fell by the wayside a little bit, and then and then kind of re- revived. Um, and i su- and I suppose you could you could say perhaps there was the fact that Schultz himself had become a, a grandfather by that time mm-hmm. and so then looking at his own grandchildren and remembering what that was like bringing in some of the kind of you know rerun spends a lot of time at kindergarten yes uh, doing un- doing slightly un- unusual things of course drawing underground comics and uh
0: Well, I just love that. See, to me, that's the elder state identifying with rerun as as kind of rerun is his stand in in the strip. Almost he's imagining himself starting over again or or, you know, having the the possibilities that lay in front of one as a child and and discovering the joys of creativity. And so an individual voice, you know, in a sea of students who are sort of following the teacher's direction rerun is doing his own thing and I I, you know I find all of that to me is very telling in a way Uh, it's a place where he seems to be really reflecting on his life as an artist and what it means to be an artist and how one becomes an artist in his own path Uh, it's really quite moving in a sense to go back and think about those strips that way it opens up a whole nother dimension for them I think
1: that, yeah, that's that's a fascinating reaction to it. I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, I think that's you're completely right. That he's 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 almost like re reimagining. Yeah, he's or thinking back to his childhood and imagining if he was more of a rerun character that had that strength. I mean, he did have strength of character, of course, but his own mythology is was a little bit that he was this kind of very shy, withdrawn, nervous child. Um, so, yeah, but he and I think he genuinely I mean, he genuinely believed. I think one of the other things is that he genuinely believed that kids at school should be um, free to explore cartoons and should be perhaps. I think he, there's even a quote where he said something about he thought that cartooning should be taught in schools or at least, you know, sort of acknowledged. I think he was always a little bit um, feeling like I don't think he minded particularly, but I I do think he he, he was aware that cartoons were not seen as a very, you know, high art
0: form yeah um, no, certainly not not in those years although now <laughs> you know i make a living teaching it on a university level and uh, you know so it's a different ball game now and um although i don't know you know and even when i was in when i was an art student back in the late 70s early 80s it was still frowned upon uh in school you know um they would see, i remember a painting class i'd done a painting and. The the instructor looked at it and said, well, it looks like a cartoon. And the class in general all said that very dismissively, you know, and so it was it was definitely there was a stigma attached to it. And I suppose because Charles Schultz did have his resentments, uh, which made for great subject matter, really, throughout his life, uh, that might have been one of them, too. You know, although in general, I think he was very happy with his place in life and his achievement. And he knew i think he knew how important and and it was to the culture how could you not know (laughs) you know in that in that sense but uh still that kind of stigma was out there in the world and um yeah i think
1: said he said that um you know he said he said one time that just the very word cartoon if something's described as 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 like a cartoon if you describe a film as having a cartoon quality it means that it's it's not kind of realistic or it's not you know serious or believable in some way so it's it is you I mean he felt that it was used as a derogatory negative um yes. and I but I you know like you say I, I I don't think he felt that himself at all I think he felt enormous pride and You know, he understood that cartoons could do whatever you want them to do. They could be and they could be beautiful and artistic. Um, I would also say, I mean, I've also heard people say, well, hey, we don't want cartoons to get too respectable. Right. Because.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like you spend your whole I mean, I I feel like I've spent I spent my whole life kind of reading cartoons and, and having, you know, people will get it if they get it. And that's that's great. You know, those you recognize those people immediately. Uh, and then there's other people who, who just don't. And you just kind of, OK, right. So, yeah. So you're one of those. You, you just you just think they're just there's something that kids read. They're silly. They're stupid. Um, but at the same time, so you spend your whole life kind of wishing to some extent that they would just go a bit more overground, get a bit, a bit more respectable. Come on, take take them seriously. But then when when people do and I think people do now, you're right. And, and as you say, it's it's taught and there's an entire history. Uh, to explore, um, you at the same time, you don't want them to lose that kind of crazy, radical, you know, outsider edge that perhaps some ways was what drew us to them in the first place, because, you know, they could be, they were like not respectable culture.
0: (laughs) Oh, and, (laughs) you know. know At what you're saying hits right it hits me right in my heart, right in the place I live. I have to tell you because I know I'm participating in a sense in the ossification of an art form in a way and and I, I take umbrage at you know dismissive comments about comics and whatnot and I want them to be respected. I want there to be museum shows and and critical writing and and biographies of all my favorite cartoonists. And I love all of these wonderful, uh compendiums of of collected works of whatever strip is out there who's putting together a fan of graphics you know uh all of that stuff i, I want all of that stuff but it, you you hit the nail on the head though at the same time what drew me to comics which drew you to comics was this ability to be outside and to to be transgressive to push up against the acceptable, what is the idea of what is acceptable. You know, for comics to live, they have to have the ability to go up against politeness. They have to have the ability to go up against what is considered acceptable and push against it and take an irreverent stance towards it. And I think, you know, we live in a moment where that's increasingly somewhat difficult. Uh, I think comics are becoming more, so much more respectable that to take on ideas or, you know, an, a, the kind of irreverence that Robert Crumb might have or that underground cartoonists of the 60s in general had or, you know, even Harvey Kurtzman back in the in the day uh, or even Al Cap had, you know. I mean, it, it, it comes up against ideas and cultural mores that, Push against it and may sort of rein in, you know, the wildness of comics that we've always loved them for. Mm. Uh, and and so, you know, it's a two, double-edged sword. To ask for respectability <laughs> is great, but once you become respectable, you're also kind of and successful. Mm-hmm. You're also in that some that that straitjacket in a way of what defines respectability.
1: Right. Yeah. And then you and then you're in the and then you're in the business of uh, then you start to establish a, uh, you know, a canon. Um, these are the greats and these are the these are, you know, these are the ones that we should study. And and this comic led to that comic. And, you you know, it's you you go through that process, I suppose. And I, I mean, I, I studied English literature, um, so I, I'm no strange to that kind of process. And I, I, I like it. I'm fine with that. Um but yeah you you do you do sort of like you don't want to lose the kind of um just I don't know, yeah, the kind of out something of the outsider status. I suppose that will always remain uh, I mean there's not a, a, an issue in the kind of business of well, I mean there's not a lot of money in mm. comics, would you right. say
0: yeah, uh well. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's funny, you, should, you know, you mentioned that talking to me and Lex about that, actually, and, and a whole yeah bunch of other guys, um, people I know. Uh, making a living as a cartoonist is increasingly a difficult path. It's always been a difficult path, you know, it's always been. And, and I think uh, the kind of security that one hopes for uh, getting a retirement plan and all those kinds of things that come with a life's work in comics, I think is very difficult because whether you, you may be one of the things you, you, you notice in comic books or you notice in comic strips, not every comic strip lasts for, for 30 years, you know, uh, a lot of them come and go in a year or two. And so, you know, somebody may have put their life's blood into a comic strip and it may just come and go and die. And, and not be remembered and not be collected. And so you don't get all that kind of residual pay. You just had that paycheck from month to month and nothing really come of it. And, and I think that's that kind of experience is true for most cartoonists finding a way to make a sustained living over the course of many, many years is, is a very difficult, difficult one indeed. And uh, it, it, so it, it it's, it's the rare exception, you know, uh, Yeah. It used to be that syndicated cartooning could lead to great success. But again, one has to think, well, how many people were actually syndicated, you know, and out of the number of people who were practicing the craft? Yeah. So it was relatively.
1: To, it to people, perhaps, I mean, even people writing um, fiction, books, mm-hmm. novels where there's a lot of prizes. There's, I mean, there presumably are prizes for cartoons, but I, I can't think of anything as big as some of the literary prizes And so you want it's like you are on a different circuit, um, I think. And that circuit is is perhaps not as kind of I mean, yes, there are the uh, you know, there's there's there is a circuit, but it's not it's not the same. It's not I don't think it has the same visibility. Um, I always feel like whenever I see something in, you know, the kind of mainstream media about comics, I'm always like, read that, read that. Great finally it's being they're being noticed and you know that's fantastic that's great um but it does seem then it but then it just goes and it's like few and far between unless it's perhaps you know a, a, a graphic novel that's been turned into a, a into a movie which is happening a lot i right. suppose right uh, it does happen
0: everything. a lot or there a lot of them are optioned you know certainly mm-hmm. but at the same time just like with uh, any proposed idea for a film that doesn't mean it's going to be made you know, and it's a lot of times people buy the rights of things and they just sit around without any action on them for years. You know, uh, I've heard stories of properties being bought and put on a shelf for, you know, 10 years or more, you know, even longer before a contract expires and it becomes available to sell again, you know? So I think it's a, it's, it's a very tricky business. I really admire those people who've been able to navigate it and make a living at it. I always knew in my own case that it was going to be difficult for me because I didn't have the, um, the kind of, uh, confidence or the personality. One of the things I remember, you know, I used to read a lot of fiction in this in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, and a lot of the people I was re I, I was reading were, uh, you know, teaching at universities. And I began to think, and I, I have, I was kind of at the time, I was out of the art school trajectory. I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, you know, that seems to be the only kind of sustainable patronage, you know, in the United States, is working at a university. Maybe that's the path I should go, you know." Which is exactly what happened, you know, um, for me. And I was very lucky to do that um, because. It is a place where art and whatever form, not so much cartooning, but art in general or literature can be practiced and encouraged, you know, by an institution and at the same time give you a regular paycheck. Mm. You don't have to be a successful writer or cartoonist. Uh, and and in, as far as cartooning goes, I don't know how many, you know, practicing tenured cartoonists are actually out in the world, um, in the United States anyway. Uh, its It seems to be fairly rare um and uh, even at my institution i kind of got in through the back door by being a practicing painter and multimedia artist before i turned my focus back to what i loved originally when i got into art and uh, devoted myself to this but so uh, i still don't know Um,
1: i haven't seen your i haven't seen an enormous amount of your work and i apologize for that i I intend i intend to investigate uh, (laughs) a lot lot more (laughs) But I do, I, I noticed I really liked your, I really do like your multimedia, your collage work.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah.
1: And I, I found that quite fascinating. And I, I wanted just to, I know this is um, not for me to interview you, but I was just interested <laughs> if you could just, for my own interest, a couple of words about that. Where Where do you, where, how do you put those together? Where are they? What's the source material? Um, have you been doing them? Is, you know, they just look incredible to me. I really love them. I'd love to have one of those on my wall.
0: Well, um, you know, you just give me your address. i will send you a book, uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the books, because um, I've got a million of them. Um, what what I did was uh, I came out of painting and and uh, mixed media and I'd always played around with collage I mean well you know my life story starts off I was a cartoonist I wanted to be an illustrator but you know when I went to art school I got really interested in a lot of different things and I started going into a variety of things filmmaking was one of them the other thing and animation I got into that and then I got into painting and I got into working in collage and so after a while working in paintings I did This whole kind of thing where I was mixing pop culture imagery with, you know, uh, all of this kind of militaristic looking stuff. Trying to make a kind of commentary on military uh, equipment and how much culture emphasizes the use of military and all that kind of stuff. It was really a a period of my life after graduate school that I did that. And then uh, I started getting into making comics. And so I did a, a short small press run of my own comic book which is kind of a superhero comic book in the late 90s and i self-published that and got it out to comic shops and did the circuit and i really got into comics then and i thought well you know let's just come what i'm doing with you know collage and painting along with my love of comics and so everything started to you know percolate i was doing comics i was doing collages all of these kinds of things at the same time and i was doing these huge newspaper collages collages rather using the new york times which was my newspaper of choice as this the material for the collages and so I do these big like almost like they became tapestries in a way of newspapers and that were cut and ripped and torn and pasted together to make these big comics things and at this and that kind of led to oh you know maybe it could be kind of fun to apply some of what I'm doing here into some of my comic stuff you know which had been traditional in an approach so so I started to do that and for a couple of years Oh, probably about 10 years. I worked uh, in um, collage on a large scale for, you know, wall pieces. Uh, and then I, I wanted to make books. And so uh, I did these, these books, two of them, called, one called Lookout Monsters and the other called Fan Dancer. And then uh, I, I did a sequence of, of collages for a newspaper, comics newspaper, that the wonderful Kevin Much and I uh, published together called pood, which was, you know, based in my love of comic strips and the idea of using the old size newspapers, which were really big, like 17 by 24 inches and, and using them as a vehicle for like comics as, you know, painting in a way. And Mm. so, so it was all kinds of, you know, happenstance in a way, um, just getting back into a love of comics and wanting to combine what i was doing in the studio at the time with making comics and one thing led to another and then i ended up doing a comic strip for a a bunch of years on go comics and you know that led me back to making comic books and animation and now i'm not even worrying about like i've I've got this love of collage i want to get back into but um i've always got something that's in the way you know i have tons of stuff i mean the material i use is uh, uh, right now for fan dancer i used a whole pile of different stuff you know i have books and books of of old you know catalogs from sears and and uh, uh wallpaper and, um, all the kinds of stuff collage artists have oh, which is yeah. you know, tons of stuff that you can rip up and tear you know and yeah. and a bunch of little comic books Uh, too which were you know the kind that covers were torn off of and you know were never very popular uh things that people threw away that you find in a uh, a thrift shop someplace and Mm -hmm. uh, you know just putting it all together i love the happenstance of you know throwing those things together and collage is very spontaneous Uh, gosh i keep screwing up that word (laughs) very spontaneous you say that
1: so spontaneously
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) I screwed it up spontaneously. Uh, but anyway, you know, so it it was just a a process and it was a life process really, you know, of bringing together a variety of different influences and um going with them and um you know, just having a lot of fun with it um and also just finding it really interesting, really challenging exciting you know the kinds of of meaning that can be conveyed by the bumping up against elements bumping up against one another Mm. Uh, you know there's a a certain surrealism is a little bit like that you know um the idea of the exquisite corpse that old game where one person says something and and it inspires somebody else to say something entirely different um and you you make a series of drawings you know based on that it's there's a the quality about it that I really enjoyed and yes. this is completely off topic.
1: <laughs> allow, allowing a little bit of the random into, into mm-hmm. things, which, um, you know, you, we kind of access that, uh, you know, in sort of subconscious unconscious way and those links and those, if you allow that kind of random element in, it can be so wonderful and so surprising. And then you, you turn around you look at it and you're surprised that that came out of your head. It's sort of a, a different, I suppose, a different, uh intention to well a, a different instinct to that more intentioned approach Absolutely. where you know you're you're deliberately choosing every single thing you do which is great mm-hmm. and there's no I don't mean to compare the two types the two types of approach and say one is better than uh, the other but I and I really I really like them both but I I really do I think you're you know the collages I mean I've looking a little bit at the comic strips you've done as well are amazing but the collage is just I've never seen anything like like them the way because they're put together as if they're pages of comics, which mm-hmm. obviously I really like just the form, just, you know, using that form. Um, I mean, I've seen collage done more as individual, you know, an individual um, collaged, um, you know, piece. Yeah. But to put it together with using the form of comics, I just think it's really, really wild. And well,
0: uh, thank you, and and I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, it's something that I really want to do more of, and and probably will do if I ever find a break in between some of the other stupid things that keep me um, occupied. But you know, it's a very different process from writing a comic strip, wherein you are particularly, like say, a traditional comic strip, which I was trying to do for a while, which is, you know, maybe it's just like a, again, kind of like an archivist's interest in medium, but. It was like, OK, here's a challenge, you know, see if you can do a comic strip and, and write one and all of that writing a gag and, you know, trying to lead the reader up to, you know, a certain punchline and then doing it again and again. That's a very distinct kind of writing, you know, that's um, very distinct from anything else I've ever done. And when you make collage, as you say, a lot of times you go, you're going entirely by feel you mm-hmm. You try a lot of things out on the paper. Uh, and and I would do that. I would try tons of I, this is one of the things you have to when you're a collage artist, you have to have a ton of material strewn all over the place so that you can grab you know what peaks your interest at any given time and you don't know what's going to be. And you put it together with something else, and it either there's either a spark or there isn't. And yeah. you don't you know consciously necessarily know why. There's a spark or there isn't. And that, I love that. And it's very distinct from mm-hmm. the other way of making comics, which is, which you're encouraged to do, say, if you're going to do a traditional comic book or something. Well, let's plot it out, you mm-hmm. know, and let's see how it develops. But let, let's plot it out entirely, you know. Uh, let's make sure that the characters, you know, grow and go through conflict and come out the other side and all of that traditional kind of s- story structure stuff. So sure. this is the antithesis of that yes. you know? <laughs> the um
1: like i say I, I haven't explored your the other side of your work your your strips more you know in more detail but i have to say i the first one i read literally the first one i, I looked at was a jetpack junior oh one, okay and it made me laugh because it's one where um he discovers um a, a something in a box that reminds oh. him of his past life And it turns out to be a blanket. Right. And then then he just he just shoves it behind him and says, who needs it? And I was thinking, is that a little buried, hidden or I don't know, a little reference to Linus's blanket or was it unconscious?
0: (laughs) I think you're pointing out to something that I hadn't uh, really thought about because, uh, you know, I think you're right. There is a connection there. (laughs) <laughs> especially since i was deeply at the time you know reading a lot of of peanuts uh but at the same time it was also a dig at you know this idea of an alien and superman uh because yeah. there's a super you'll notice there's a superman insignia on that blanket That's right and, right and so there's a little joke there you know oh yeah no he was he was sent to earth in this little box and in the box was superman's cape well you know okay what what if you know mon paul kenne grabbed you know, kal L out of that rocket and throwing the blanket away, you know, we'd never have Superman's costume. But anyway, it was just a play, you know, it, yeah. it was, it was fun to play with that idea, but at the same time, you're right, you know, um, uh, but you know, that was fun to do, but I had a lot of frustrations with that strip and mostly because, you know, trying to, I don't know, kid strip wasn't necessarily natural to me in the same way it was for Charles Schultz. Okay, so with that, the interview begins to steer back away from the focus on myself and back towards the real subject of our conversation, Charles Schultz, and we get back to talking about that next time. And I hope you'll tune in for part two of my interview with the wonderful Simon Beecroft. And I hope that you've been intrigued enough to head out and pick up the Peanuts book for the peanuts lover or if you have obviously if you're here you're a peanuts lover and so I can highly recommend this it's it's a wonderful addition to your library of peanuts material and I think you'll enjoy it a great deal so Simon comes back next time hey I've got some new stuff up on my patreon page If you're wondering what that Patreon page is about, well, hey, I've got a new video up there. Uh, It tells you all about what I do with a bunch of new animation. So if you head on over to patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan, uh, there's a nice little video that tells you all about what i do on patreon plus there's a bunch of new little animated sequences if you're interested in the kind of stuff i do which i had a lot of fun doing and so i think you'll enjoy seeing it so check that out patreon.com slash jeff grogan and of course anything that you choose to contribute to the production of this podcast is greatly appreciated Hope you'll follow me on Instagram at Grogan Jeff, G-R-O-G-A-N-G-E-O-F-F, and at Spiking the Lens. If you want to follow my comics at all, they are on at Spiking the Lens, at Spiking the Lens, S-P-I-K-I-N-G-T-H-E-L-E-N-S, where my comic strip, Spiking the Lens, has been running for the last half year or so, and where I'll be introducing my latest work, which is a comic book version of of the comic strip, uh, although very different in its origins. And uh, and that'll be running on Patreon, too, initially as a um, patrons-only thing, so check that out. Hey, if you like the podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening to it. Uh, it's great if you give us a five-star review and add a little uh, comment to the comment section there. It helps bring other listeners to the podcast, and I would really appreciate it. If you've got suggestions for making the podcast better, uh, you can write me at jeffgcomics at gmail.com. That's G-E-O-F-F-G-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. That can be a big help, too. I'm always looking for ways to improve the podcast and make it something that is more enjoyable, more informative for those of you who uh, find it worthwhile listening. So uh, please don't hesitate. send me your comments or suggestions. I'm always glad to hear from you. That should do it for this time. I hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you'll come back. Pick up the second part of Simon Beecroft talking about the Peanuts book. And I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season wherever you are. Stay well. Stay happy, stay safe, and thanks for listening.